Greetings and welcome to the Mount Rushmore Podcast. My name is Jeff and I'm joined as per the huge by my good friends Richard. Hello. And Michael. Howdy. Richard and Michael. You know how they do. They debate, they deliberate the Mount Rushmore of the most ubiquitous aspects of any given topic. And this week is different in that we have an external competitor, an outside challenger, and a very funny uh, a contributor out there to um, the podcast land. It is Kate Gaffney. How are you doing, Kate? Hi. Thanks for having me on. Oh, we're so happy you're here. Kate, uh, tell us what you do and where people can find it. Oh, okay. So I am a fellow podcaster. Hello, everyone. And I have a podcast that's called Service from Hell. It is on anywhere you can get a podcast. And the premise is just talking to people that work in various forms of customer service. It's not limited to bars and restaurants. It is literally any type of customer service. We've had doctors, we'll have lawyers, etc. So anyone that interfaces with a customer and we just talk about the good, bad and the irritating things that go along with that, but we end positively. And you can find that anywhere, and you can find me at thekategaffney.com. All my info, socials, upcoming, whatever nonsense is all there. Awesome. That's so cool. Kate is indeed an act, actor and improviser and all the other things, in addition to being a very uh, talented podcaster. And uh, you have some experience uh, probably in different industries, but is customer service something you have a background in? Yeah, so the idea was the, the podcast was born from having worked in bars and restaurants to supplement my acting career, <laughs> cough, cough, um, mm-hmm. basically to supplement my life. And I've worked in it in customer service forever. And in Los Angeles, it's a particular brand of, of human interaction, I would say that's a little different than other cities. And so after I work at the comedy store when it is open and when things are up and running, and that is a uniquely uh, terrible and wonderful job. And the terrible side of it inspired <laughs> the podcast because you interface with people very quickly and it's not a traditional restaurant but people come in with the expectations that it is and so you know you can't serve 150 people at the same time and yet and yet they think you can so yeah that's where it came from well okay so uh, i have done everything but introduce our topic uh now we often place our uh discussions within the backdrop of film and television and storytelling And this week is no different. And the weird topic is the Mount Rushmore of the least accurate depictions of the bar and restaurant. Uh, Wait, did I get that right? What what did you get? Yeah, okay, okay. You Uh, you threw the dart at the board on that one, and it got so close. (laughs) Uh, I'll give it to you. Okay, thank you. Uh, I'm already points behind, and I'm not even competing. The the truth is, is... Film and television stories and sitcoms and uh, things can take place in many different places, like uh, fantasy situations, like a spaceship speeding through uh, the universe, or places we might have been once, like a firehouse or a newsroom or something like that. But when they put them into bars, restaurants, uh, cafes, those are places that we've gone to a lot, and some of us have worked in a lot. And it might be a little bit hard to turn off our critical brain, even though we know it's entertainment. We might sit there and go... Shouldn't you be rolling up silverware into napkins right now? I can't believe she's going on a break. That break has lasted forever while while Chad breaks up with her. So um, uh, we know that these are entertainment and not necessarily real, but sometimes it's hard to turn off our brain. And so we're going to talk about that shit uh, during this podcast. So um, our guest always goes first on the Mount Rushmore podcast. And uh, Kate, you're going to kick it off here with your first choice for the Mount Rushmore of least realistic situations, uh, service situations found in bars and restaurants. Go. Okay. Thank you, gentlemen, for letting me go first. I appreciate it. Number one, this was very easy for me, was It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. It is one of my favorite (laughs) shows. I think it's very well done. But... There's never anyone in that bar minus the off times when occasionally they have some wild night that ended up doing well. And the very few customers or regular patrons that they have are borderline dead. And no one ever goes up to the bar to order a drink, never, not once. And it is so distracting. And I recognize that it's fiction. It's just TV. But as Jeff said, it is so irritating. And I wonder, (laughs) how does this bar make money? How do they stay open? It takes me out of every episode. So that's my number one. That's really (laughs) funny. I I, I do think that they they ultimately solve that problem by just bringing in Frank, who's just just rich. (laughs) 
<laughs> and just like, you know, it doesn't give a shit about his money anymore. And so he's just been funneling money into this place. But yeah, I, it's, it's always funny to see, you know, this place that is the exact opposite of cheers, a place that is just like, bustling with people at all times of day that op- that as soon as the you know as soon as the place opens somehow it's four or five couples start streaming in and then you know you know uh it's always sunny it's just like that one guy that's in the back of the room on every episode and you're like what is what is yeah this place? Did, you think did samuel beckett write this script because it feels like there's, <laughs> there's nothing here have they all died and we find out at the end that i would say it does seem kind of like a funny observation to make because it's almost like if you watched um, um, the Roadrunner of Wile E. Coyote and, and are befuddled that the coyote can't catch him or that he survives <laughs> another you know 3,000 foot fall off the mesa or something. It seems so petty to make these comments, but I've worked in restaurants many times in my life and you just develop this energy that allows you to survive in that environment. And you can't, if, you're, if you rest, you rust. If you're still, you're dead. And you're going to be in the weeds. So that's what I feel whenever I see a dead bar like that. Um, do you uh, think that there's anything that they're doing it for artistic reasons? There's not there's not an artistic motivation other than just to kind of make room for the actors or maybe extras cost money and they can't afford it. <laughs> I think I that's mean, actually it. Yeah, I know that they were really, really on a shoestring budget the first season or two. So I think there was an element of they just did not have the funds for extras. Mm-hmm. And I, I do think there's also the element of it's supposed to show this is not a successful place. These are not good business people. Uh-huh. These are not these are not proprietors that you would want to spend an evening with. So yeah. I, I think that I think that's probably an intentional choice on their part. Yeah. yeah, it fits with the degenerate theme of exactly what you just said, like that they, you know, they don't want it to appear necessarily too successful. And the, the offshoot episodes where they were overwhelmed with people, they as as the characters just didn't know what to do. And they wanted it to be <laughs> less successful because they couldn't handle the influx of people. Um, so, yeah, it was I think it's and, and also to Richard and your point. Yeah. Background cost money. And, to, and the first like I think the first two seasons pretty definitively they were the show was holding on by a thread and actually Danny DeVito's character didn't get introduced until season two um, because his manager was a fan of the show and the script kind of rolled past his manager's desk and then anyway that's not what this podcast is about cool yeah yeah. you know at some point Kate I might ask you if there's something that has ever really happened in a service environment that you've been in that if you had seen it on film or television you'd say bullshit that wouldn't happen because oh. you've probably seen oh, I have an answer that. for that so you could I okay. can answer that now or I can answer that later because I've got okay. a chambered response wow okay well let's, let's make a speaking of a coyote let's make a cliffhanger and uh, let okay. uh, Richard and Michael do their round and then we'll get back to that okay sure I'll go first Michael if that's kosher yeah go for it uh, you mentioned Cheers a little while ago Michael mm. and um, one of the things that's always bothered me about Cheers is the fact that there are four people who work there. And they seem to work every shift. The bar is open. There are no secondary, no, no, no fill-in waiters or waitresses. There's no fill-in bartenders. It's just the four of them. They apparently don't take any days off. They apparently don't fail to work any shifts. I don't know even know when their lunch breaks are, because I've never seen... One, you never you never saw Carla sleep, you know, slipping out back to like munch down on a cheeseburger that she got from wherever the restaurant is upstairs. Um, yeah, I just and I, this seems to be this is like a recurring theme in TV shows and especially TV shows I think, where you you want to establish your workplace, but you never really there's no way to establish other characters other than these core four people that you want to focus the show around. And so with Cheers, that's one thing I remember watching, and it was like the it was another Wiley e. Coyote type thing, where yeah. it's just like, wait a sec- wait a second, I, what's I going on here? Kate was having palpitations uh, when you mentioned that because <laughs> uh, I think that probably connects. There's some synergy going on in your in your thinking, Kate. What was your feeling about that? Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, I it bothered me. I, I only I discovered Cheers in quarantine because I was trying to catch up on you know shows I hadn't seen before, and yes, if I can piggyback on that. Also, Diane and Sam, who may be the only two people behind the bar, 
always go to the office and have these long winded conversations. <laughs> and it's like, well, then everyone should be robbing the bar. Like yeah. that's not, it, it's so <laughs> that's distracting. That's not the Boston I know. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. yes. So I 100% agree that it is, that one is, it's very distracting, Richard. I would argue mm-hmm. yes to that. There's, there, there is an occasional episode where someone will come in saying, oh, today is my day off um, or what have you. But then you just think, oh, my God, this is place has just been uh, – all these people had to do so much extra work <laughs> during that time. It is it is so difficult. To, I mean, you know, obviously it's a sitcom, but like it just – the extra work and effort that has been put upon these other people is is horrible. I would complain to – uh, the owner, if the owner didn't do the exact same thing to his uh, to his employees, <laughs> I, the, the one thing that I think, um, at, having watched Cheers numerous times, um, I love the only aspect that I really, I mean, I love the show, but the, the aspect that I love the most is all the busy work that the actors do behind the bar. It actually looks like they could actually serve drinks. They're always cutting lemons and limes, and they're filling things up, and they're just doing these little bits and pieces that you don't normally see i think that's that's where the show like the realism is just like sam taking orders and trying to remember them then making the drinks as some other bit of comedy is happening you see this stuff in the background but uh the actual um you know the actual number of people employed at this bar that's open from apparently the morning till two in the morning is uh is is awful yeah when do they open it seems like (laughs) that they open early so these guys these Poor Carla and Woody are working like 14-hour shifts, seven days a week. She's got six kids, yeah. Yeah, well, there's that, too. Who's watching the kids? Yeah, no no husband around. I, I do recognize that if I watch Grey's Anatomy, I don't stop and go, McSteamy didn't clamp off that artery before he made the incisor on the forearm. Like, I don't. I don't care about that, but, but because <laughs> I've worked in bars and restaurants, it all seems very real. And would we like, what do we, what do we want to see? Do we want to see a Cheers script where they get real with the uh, actual business of running a bar? <laughs> no dialogue, just all balls to the wall customer service. Yeah. Just, just nothing, nothing but ordering. Lots of ordering supplies. Yeah. In between them down. getting yeah. robbed. Yeah, yes, in between, yeah. Robbed. yeah, that's yeah. exactly it. Uh, okay, uh, so we are at uh, at the end of our first round, and as hinted, Kate might have some kind of OMG moment, I can't believe this really happened, in a bar or a restaurant that I worked, uh, and it's so crazy, you wouldn't believe it. What is it? I promise you on everything, this 100% happened to me. I was waiting uh, on these two girls who were very specifically uh, dressed in a way that would make you think that they were very rich, you know, Gucci head to toe, Louis Vuitton bags. And where I work, it's a two drink minimum. That's not, you can't argue that you got to get the two drinks, whether you order bottles of water, whatever, doesn't matter. So they were very incensed that it was taking longer than five minutes for me to go up the stairs and down the stairs with a tray of 20 drinks. They wanted their drinks right away. So the energy was just off from the beginning, but you get used to seeing that and interacting with people like that. So you just keep it moving. I dropped their second set of drinks and they said, we need to leave right now. And there was a comedian on stage and I said, okay, no problem. And I still had half of the tray to drop. So I said, I'm going to drop the rest of my tray and then I'll cash you guys out. No, we need to leave now. And I said, okay, well, again, still got to drop those drinks. So then I ran downstairs to cash them out. I come back upstairs. They're waiting for me at the top of the stairs. They've created a barrier so I can't get through. And they're, they, they said, we're paying cash for this because their card got declined several times. They must have gotten a notice on their phone or whatever. So I said, okay, here's your bill. And, and then they said, we need a copy of the receipt. I had literally just handed them the receipt. And I said, you have it. Because at this point, I had had it. And what I should have done was just said, okay, and printed the receipt. But I had had it. And so I said, well, you have it in your hand. No, we don't. And I said, okay. <laughs> so I went to the terminal that was right there. I had to separate them like the Red Sea and then go to the terminal and print the receipt again. And then I handed it to the other girl. There were obviously two of them. And they take money. The bill was $61. I remember this so specifically. They take $60, crumple it up and throw it at me. And I said, okay. I was like, well, first of all, the money's on the ground. And I was like, and your total 61. And this is 60. And they said, we are leaving now. Give us our card. And I said, okay. I was like, well, again, you're going to need to pay me for the full bill. And then am I allowed to curse on this podcast? Yes, please curse. 
Okay. They said, bitch, give us our card now. We are leaving. And I was like, I said, okay. I was like, now you've called me outside of my name. And I was like, so I'll just grab security and we'll make this really unpleasant for everyone. And so I'm holding the card. The girl goes to rip, one of the girls goes to rip it out of my hand. The other girl tries to push me down the slight. There were like, there's two different <laughs> sets of stairs to get into the room. One is like three, three or four stairs high. The other is like a full flight. She tried to push me down like the five stair, whatever. I catch myself and then I'm like shaking. So I'm like, oh, this isn't safe. So I go to run out of the room and find security because they didn't make it up the stairs quick enough. I meet them at the bottom of the stairs and security's like, what's going on? And I was like, these girls. And as I say that, the one girl runs past me and goes to grab my hair. She is unsuccessful. And she says, bitch, you better give us our fucking car, bitch. And starts like just, just losing it. Now keep in mind, there's two other theaters that they have now walked past and they're creating this whole scene. Now they're like skinny. They're very thin, tiny, like Louis Vuitton, Gucci girls. And so they, the, the security guard literally can pick up this 90 pound chihuahua and just move her over. The <laughs> other girl is trying to get around the security, the security guards, like this lovely six foot five yoked dude. And he was like, I got you, Kate, like, no worries. So the one girl that he has pinned up against the wall, the other girl tries to run around and is like, come outside. We will cut, we'll cut you bitch. Oh, like running their mouth. <laughs> and I was like, in my head, I was thinking, this is funny, except it's happening to me. Like I would be, if I witnessed this, I would be like, this is hilarious. Cause like, I'm not a tiny girl. Like I could have flicked them both in the forehead and they would have been on the ground. And so I'm, I'm trying to deal with this. So I decide like it's over security takes them outside. They're still barking. And then the, the listeners, other, hold the, on listeners, just so you know, Kate is is ten foot tall. Just so you know, she's not a she's not a tiny girl. Okay, back to your story. The security <laughs> has him outside. Yep, and I'm ripped to shreds. Yeah. Nobody come at me. And so the security keeps the like the barrier. And the girl was like, "You fat bitch, you're a blah blah blah." And as soon as she said, "You fat bitch," I was just like, "You know what? Like I've had it. You got as many bitches in as I will tolerate." And so I went to turn. And one of my dearest friends, who was a lovely comic, his name is Earl Skakel. He is a regular at the store and he saw my face switch and he steps in front of me and he goes, not today, Kate. And I was like, nope, I'm losing my job right now. I don't care. And he was like, not today, not today. And he physically like turned me around and had me walk down the hall and I was shaking. And then the next day I was like, oh man, like that was insane. So that is my story of, of one of the craziest situations that's happened to me that if someone else said it, I'd be like, you're lying. You're exaggerating about something. I promise you on everything. Every detail I said was true. Yes, I can't see that happening at Central Perk in uh, <laughs> in French script. I love Earl Skakel. He was in a project I did like ah, twenty years ago. Oh, uh, lovely! Forever, the dude he, back then he collected uh, hockey or game worn hockey jerseys. I think still does. Still still rocking the hockey jersey. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Shout out to his fiance who doesn't love that. Hi, Chandler. Ooh, yikes. <laughs> yeah. Yikes. Okay, uh, Richard and Mike, or so, no, it's Kate. Uh, Kate going yeah. into her second choice for the Mount Rushmore. Well, I, I, I don't know what to do because it is definitely Cheers. So <laughs> I definitely put that okay, in cool. number two. Yeah. Um, and yeah, my argument stands that it's just, just Sam and Diane going in the back. Yeah, like, you know, Carla never getting a break. And also, like, the Coach T stuff I thought was so lovely. But, you know, it was like there was a certain point when... It, it just, I don't know, it felt like no one would be that charitable in a real bar situation, you know? And so, like, and he was such a, the dearest actor and apparently just the loveliest dude. But I just, those handful of episodes right before he passed away, I was like, oh, this is so sad. Like, this is, no, 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 no. Like, no bar would be this charitable. Although this bar would be because they're fine with being robbed. So, <laughs> yeah. <Right>. Okay, <laughs> uh, go for it, Richard and Michael. Well, um, our second choice is going to be um, Arthur the Fonz, Fonzarelli's, quote, office inside the men's bathroom at Arnold's what? Diner on Happy Days. <laughs> and, like, just the idea that all of, the, you know, the couple of different owners that owned um, Arnold's, um, whether it was uh, uh, Pat Morita's character uh, or it was um, Al uh, Delvecchio, uh-huh. I can't remember. I can't quite remember his last name. Um, did they just allow this this older man to set up uh, a desk <laughs> as <No>. a <laughs> like? They're just so they just kowtowed to like his creepy, uh, you know, uh, 
yeah. lusting and wolfing over all the underage teenage girls. And, you know, he used it to offer advice to Richie and his, his gang of idiots and that he had eventually like his own phone, you know, put in there. <laughs> and I can't do, I, my question is, I mean, okay, I guess this happened. Do like the girls that, do they know that he has this in here? Isn't that just such the biggest turnoff? Like, where's your office? It's not upstairs. It's not behind the thing. It's in the guy's room. How fucking, gro- how fucking gross is that? And maybe, like, health standards were better well, back then, but I don't think so. Well, and they let him take his motorcycle into the restaurant. This seems like a health code violation. Yeah. yeah. Sir, sir, could you please turn off your engine? You're getting soot in my milkshake. To to uh, to the restaurant tour's def- defense, I imagine both of them had had arrangements with their accountants to uh, get a disc, you know, some kind of write-off for a home office or an office within the restaurant. Oh oh but I don't know what kind of bizarre tax structure or illegal loophole of, of Milwaukee, Wisconsin exists in which uh, one could write off a portion of a restroom as a place of business for a Lothario, an Italian Lothario. Um, but uh, I do wonder, yes, like to, to Fonzie's, you're kind of labeling that uh, this Fonzie is a misogynist somewhat to, to, uh, to bring women into this uh, area to do business. But like to his defense, he did pound on the door and make the nerds leave first. I think that was customary. <laughs> well, I guess you're right. Yeah. <laughs> what a gentleman. What a gentleman. <laughs> yeah, guys, calm down. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> did that really take place in Milwaukee, Wisconsin? Was that the idea that it was that Happy Days yeah. was? Yeah. yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. You know, I I met somebody not uh maybe maybe even a little bit uh, younger than yourself, Kate, who thought Happy Days was actually filmed in the era of which it depicted. Uh mm. I know it, Ooh, I thought it, that too. Wait, yeah, when okay. was it filmed? Uh so Happy, late, Happy Days mid to late 70s. Yeah, oh, so was, really? At least two decades after it's the era in which it depicts Wow, um, I really didn't. I guess that doesn't make sense that I would have thought that too, because all of those, well, minus Pat Morita, most most of the people are still alive. Interesting. I should have put that together when I all, saw Scream. It all, <laughs> it all, it all piggybacked off of uh, uh, American Graffiti, which came out in '75, that kind of took place, you know, a decade or and a half earlier, and kind of uh, capitalized on the success of like the nostalgia of the night, late '50s and drive-ins and. Um, stuff like that so they just basically were like what if we did american graffiti uh but as like a tv series and also still used uh, ron howard you know from what oh, i course. know he was in that too that's right uh, sorry go ahead there was a pilot for there was a pilot gary marshall did a pilot called love and the happy days uh it love what, american style wasn't it an episode of love american style it, it what there was a pilot called Love and the Happy Days. And oh, here comes here comes Love, Jeff over the top to to knock us both on our heads, Rich. Sorry. <laughs> it was a pilot. It failed. It was picked up. The pilot episode, like many pilot episodes, were then encapsulated in a show called Love American Style, which would buy failed pilots, cut them up, and use them as segments of their anthology show about romance and. It proved so popular as an episode of Love and the Happy Days. And then American Graffiti came out. So now mm. Gary Marshall had this pilot that did well as an excerpt, as excerpted in Love and the Happy Days, that had the dude who was the star of that George Lucas movie that was very mm. popular. And so George Lucas went on to do romantic comedies for the rest of his career. <laughs> no, wait, wait. He did Star Wars. <laughs> wait, was, what movie? So, was, was Henry Winkler in the original pilot? Uh, Jeff, do you know? Um, no, I don't. No, he wasn't in the original. Oh, do you hear something? No. Okay, that's my dog. Oh, uh, sorry. Sneezing? Did you know? Sneezing? sneezing, yeah. Oh, it's adorable. I don't, adorable. I don't think he was. And so, But I do think Chuck was in it. Uh, who dribbled his basketball upstairs and was never seen again as, as our former uh, podcast guest, Moxie Labouche (laughs) summarized. So so I, I'm just trying to figure out at some point that they decided what really is going to take this over the top is like a five foot two Jewish guy playing the coolest 
Italian guy in the world. Yeah, the coolest. Some, yeah. some point this happened. You know, in a windbreaker uh, in the first couple episodes until they agreed that uh, he wasn't too much of a hoodlum if he wore a leather jacket. Um, so we're going to go to our break, but uh, not until after. Kate Gaffney lets us know a few of the topics uh, that she has discussed with her guests on Service from Hell. Um, oh, I don't know how gross I should be, but go, um, go for it. Go for go it. Go for it. Okay. We, t- yeah. uh, the doctor talks about disimpacting an elderly person. So we have discussed Ooh. that. Um, I have heard a story of vomiting blood all over someone, not a doctor. That was a bartender. Um, and we talk a lot about drugs because in the restaurant and bar industry, apparently that is just, or at least in the nightclub industry, that it, drugs are pervasive guys. If that, what? if you didn't know, what? I know. I know. What? Breaking news on this podcast. <laughs> You're welcome. Someone should do an expose on this. Someone should get a get 2020 on it. Yeah. <laughs> so look it up, uh, listeners. Service from Hell. You can go out onto any podcaster and find it. Um, you could also go to Kate's website. Kate's, what, what's your URL for your it's thing? The Kate Gaffney. T H E K A T E G A F is in Frank F is in Frank N E Y dot com because Kate Gaffney is a singer in Pennsylvania and she took that URL and she's also on the first page of Google and I'm bitter about it but it's fine she's got a good voice <laughs> but yeah so she owns all the branding so good job her yeah good job the Kate and just Kate Gaffney um, <laughs> thanks Jeff <laughs> uh, and good job you listener for choosing the Mount Rushmore podcast as your choice of entertainment this week. We'd like to uh, and encourage you to go back into our archives and download, rate, and review past episodes. Any stars you want to give us, one through five, would be really helpful. Uh, you could also do us a solid and share the Mount Rushmore podcast or serve some help podcast out there on social media. Also, join us in dialogue. We have uh, been encouraged by suggestions from previous um, listeners who've gone out on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and given us ideas for future episodes. So that's really cool to hear what you want us to talk about or to let us know where we missed certain uh, suggestions for previous topics. So we would love you if you did that, and we'd love to uh, know that you shared the podcast. So that'd hey, be Jeff. super cool. Yes, sir. Hey, Jeff, you can also promo that next week our guest, very special guest we have coming on, singer-songwriter Kate Gaffney. <laughs> oh, sweet. <laughs> so, Damn it. That's it. I'm not coming back after the break. I knew it. <laughs> Boy, howdy. What a catch. I can't believe we got pencil. You got your journalism, Jeff. I'm not here for it. (laughs) Oh, my God. That's so hilarious. That's so hilarious. Uh, There's a bow hunter named Jeff Hopkins who's going to be the host of it, too. Uh, There's there's somebody uh, in Pennsylvania that has uh, my name, and he uses my email address to have olive oil shipped to his house. And it is Wait, are you serious? It is wild to that. Um, I don't know. He just doesn't understand that you just how Gmail works or how oh. internet works or how email addresses <laughs> work. So every once in a while, I'll get like this. For, I'll get an email receipt for um, this person uh, with my name uh, in Pennsylvania. And it's like, oh, okay, that's a lot of olive oil, I guess. Wow. Buy it special. Something's happening in Pennsylvania because this bitch, this other Kate Gaffney, lives there too, so, or did, or is from there. Or something, something's happening. I'm yeah, not. Yeah. Like yeah. We all you, have a, a a lookalike in or a name. We all have somebody in Pennsylvania who's stealing some our some bitch thunder. who's stealing our thunder. And hey, listeners, you should rate and review this podcast because these gentlemen are lovely, and it is rare to be a woman on a podcast where you are not interrupted. And this has that has not happened, and they all say excuse me and. Ladies, this is such a lovely podcast to be a part of. So you should rate it and review it and listen to it and tell your friends. Oh, that's so cool. We try so hard to be woke bros here. And you are. We rarely, we rarely succeed, but this time we rarely do. So. No, it's we're, lovely. You, we're you. fooling her. We're fooling her, Jeff. We're fooling her, guys. I'm wooing you so you don't have that bitch on the podcast next week, Richard. <laughs> that's, right. that's right. We'll call and cancel. We'll call her. Uh, Kate, now it's your turn to let us know your third choice. Okay, here we go. This is wildly specific. So um, I'm a huge Parks and Rec fan. So Parks and Rec obviously doesn't take place in a restaurant. However, there is a scene where Ron Swanson goes into a diner because he is mad that this steakhouse (laughs) in this famous town where he like had an affiliation or grew up or whatever was closed. It had shut down. And so he says to to the man waiting on him behind the counter, 
give me all of the bacon and eggs that you have. And the waiter just goes, <laughs> okay. And then Ron stops him and says, no, I just want to be clear. What I said was give me all of the bacon and eggs that you have, not a lot of them. And the waiter's like, right, got it. And I love Ron Swanson. He is probably my favorite character on the show, but like in no universe is a diner that is n like mostly probably a breakfast serving location going to give you all of their eggs and bacon because they've already got their food delivery for the next day and you're there at night. How are they going to give anybody, what are they going to tell all the patrons in the morning? Oh, sorry. We're out of eggs and bacon. Like, and I love his delivery and he's such a good actor and such a good dude, but no parks and rec. That's not possible. It's very frustrating. So that's my third. How would you describe Ron's disposition at that point? Cause he seems nearly suicidal. I think in that, point like he's at his bot rock bottom yeah he he doesn't ever lose it like that's one of the most awesome things about his character that he's just reading everybody in the room but he's just maintaining this like level calm of i could murder you but i won't yeah. and in that moment i would say that's the closest we see him to breaking because he's just had to accept that he's going to be around you know vegans and no meat and like the steakhouse was the like was manna from heaven for him so mm -hmm. yeah suicidal or, or homicidal he was teetering <laughs> for sure <laughs> i would say ron as you described him as this kind of cool customer who has this uh kind of placid demeanor that's really never that upbeat uh, unless he's kind of got a he's giggling at a woodworking advertisement or something like that <laughs> but then yeah. when he's either when is it tammy too or whenever tammy comes in or he becomes Duke Silver. Those are those two modes in which he <laughs> diverts uh -huh. from that complacent attitude. Yeah. Tammy is Tammy two is Megan Mullally, right? Or no, is that Tam no Tammy one is his mom. Tammy two is his first wife. Tammy three oh, okay. is his second wife. Oh, I get the Megan Mullally character. Yes. Yeah. yeah she yeah. sets him upside down and backwards, which is yeah. adorable because they're married in real life, which I just love. It's not what yes. this is about, but I love that detail. Yeah, I do wonder I, if if uh, he, either the, God, what's his name, Nick Offerman, yeah. went to the producers at some point and said, "I need variety. <laughs> I need this guy <laughs> to have some kind of flight of fancy at some point." Michael, what were you going to say? Oh, I I love that that um, uh, he and uh, Leslie Nope have that just great bond over food. You know, she has this mm -hmm. uh, just tremendous sweet tooth that is just also uh, not to be believed for a person of her size and uh, stature. And just, you know, she just all the sugar is just pours it into her. And I, I do like that that they are so, um, so different, but they still have like this food bond between the two that I think it's very, mm -hmm. very charming. Yeah. Is I don't know if it was that restaurant. I don't think it was, but one of their regular one of the most unrealistic restaurant scenarios for me is that I believe that was or is four and twenty. Um, the oh here here in L.A. Yeah, on on Van Nuys, and whenever I see that, I think that's totally unrealistic because the food is not very good at four and twenty. <laughs> and uh, why would these people be uh, frequenting this place? And then. Um, what was that the is that is that that is the thing that we suffer from being in the valley is we'll watch a show usually something filmed at the Burbank Studios like we were watching a Parks and Recs the other day and you know uh, they were sitting kitty corner kitty corner across from like Valley like the Valley Liquor Store like on yeah. Moore Park and um, Colfax and was like yep I know where that is that's yeah. <laughs> that is not Pawnee Indiana a town that also doesn't exist yeah. Yeah, I, uh, whenever I see um, um, Gnarls Barkley filming a, a rock video in Frank's Diner, you know, or something like that, it's always kind of a mind blower. So. Um, gentlemen, Kate is, if, if this were a customer service scenario, um, you are the waitress and Kate is all up in your face, just kind of uh -huh. running circles around you and kind of destroying you guys. So you got a lot of, lot of, lot of field to, uh, to make here, so... What you can do to catch up. All right, so we'll go with our third one. I think that's what we do next, correct, Jeff? Yes, yes. Okay. Um, our third one is Cocktail, the movie. Oh, just wow. the the entirety of the movie Cocktail, yeah. <laughs> from start to finish, just a ridiculous yeah. concept and execution. Yeah. It's like Coyote Ugly, but with Tom Cruise, essentially. <laughs> um, if you guys have not seen this movie, and I haven't seen it in 
30 years probably since it was since I caught it on HBO one night. And I remember watching watching this on HBO and I was probably 10, 12 at the time maybe if I think it came out in 87, 88. And I remember thinking, I don't know anything about bars, but this doesn't seem right. This is not <laughs> yeah. passing the smell test. <laughs> this yeah. idea that you can become like this local celebrity and this, you know, rock star based on the fact that you do a few spinny flippy tricks with your alcohol when you pour it for somebody <laughs> just seems so out of touch with anything that has to do with, with what happens at a bar. Mm -hmm. So I know like if I go to a, say I go to a nice bar and, and let's, and you guys know me, so just play along and pretend that okay. I would actually go to a nice <laughs> bar. Um, you know, and, and, and if, if the person working behind the bar is a mixologist, my, I, my teeth start to grind just a little bit because I know <laughs> it's going to take 10 minutes for my drink to get made. And yeah. God forbid there's two or three people ahead of me. It may be a half hour before I get a drink. Yeah. And I, it may be the most amazing drink that I've ever had, but I'd be willing to take about 20% less quality to be able to get that drink quicker. Mm-hmm. Now, can you imagine if it's got some dude who's up there like flipping the bottles and juggling? <laughs> and he's not making necessarily a better drink. If anything, I would imagine all the sloshing of the alcohol is, I don't know, disturbing the spirits somehow. Yeah. But all he's doing is making a big fireworks show, essentially. Mm -hmm. And, and that's, that's the entirety of the movie cocktail. That is yeah. the plot. That's the plot. Uh, the 80s were a douchey time. Um, yes. And so there was a lot of douchosity happening in, and is the bar on the Florida Keys or something? I forget where it is. So Yeah, I think it starts off in Florida. Then he goes to Jamaica for a while. That's where he meets Elizabeth Shue, I believe. Yeah. She's in the movie? Yeah, she I is. She's, she's the love interest. I just yeah. want to point out Karate Kid is my favorite movie, and we've made reference to two, two of the actors in that film and proving its brilliance and separate, separate <laughs> oh, conversations. Yeah. Yeah, Pat Morita, Pat Morita yeah. and Elizabeth Shue. So well done, gentlemen. Nice. <laughs> yeah, uh, who is it? Zabka? Is that the other one we got? Who is the other guy? We got a Billy. If Zabka. you can work him in, okay, we'll, we'll work on that. Um, okay. I remember seeing that uh, film and with my ex-wife. That's how long ago it was. And <laughs> I think there was a trend that that douchey bartending, the flash bartending, was a big effing deal, and it's more as much. So that Disney opened a entertainment um, venue that's kind of like downtown Disney or City Walk, if you're familiar with those uh, themed themed entertainment areas. Uh, they Disney had a flash bartending bar in Orlando in in their adult entertainment area. So yeah, that was a big effing deal. And you just and, but now it seems like you're you're describing kind of flashy. And then slow, like a mixologist I associate with that dude who's mulling the cilantro that he wants to yeah. put in, you know, drink or whatever. It's like artisanally, it's yeah, it's artisanally grown with, with his pestle. Yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. Sure. yeah. Ignoring, um... ignoring you as he peers through his monocle at the, uh, you know, the the ice that he's rimming the 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 metal mixer thing. What was there's, uh, there's a great episode of Portlandia that captures um, both of these characters. Andy um, Samberg plays a character who uh, the, the two, the two mains, they go to like this little dive bar, this little like mixology bar in Portland. And he's doing, he's taking his time making this, you know, this perfect drink for her. And then uh, she like falls in love with him. And then uh, she learns that he's moved away and has moved to LA. So they go to LA. And when he's in LA, he turns from that one mixologist, bartender into the spinning cocktail douchebag uh, <laughs> bartender and he's just such an an a-hole uh it's so funny that 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 i like that richard you hate both versions of that person yeah. <laughs> that isn't just that isn't just pouring pouring the booze directly into like a dirty uh, shot glass or straight into my mouth like i'm in yeah. Tijuana or something <laughs> just cut out the middleman yeah i will say i started to gain some respect for Tom Cruise a few movies after when I realized he was not the only person getting millions of dollars to be the leading man in these films, but he was the only person who was um, actually learning to play pool as well as a pool shark or to mix drinks as well as a flash bartender or to drive a Formula One car to do these 
and lately, you know, hold on to a jet plane as it's taking off. So I, I think the fact method. that he did that, yeah, the fact that he was holding on to the jet plane and and mixing the drinks and the mixing it was just Alabama slam. Okay, guys, uh, I think now it's Kate's fourth choice, unless my math is messed up. Kate, yeah, is it your final choice? Okay. Yes, it is. Um, this is also incredibly specific and probably weird, but I have also in quarantine, I've been watching a lot of TV, folks, um, and Law & Order SVU is mm. repetitively on the TV, and I love the show. I'm obsessed. And any time Olivia Benson is meeting, like, the newest DA or a new employee or a date or whatever. They're going out, obviously, in Manhattan. Usually they're in New York City at some point. And, A, she always finds a seat directly at the bar, which, okay, that's yeah. totally possible in Manhattan. Never needs a reservation. And, B, any time she wants another drink. Like, she drinks, I think it's, like, scotch and on the rocks or something. She just puts her little finger up, and then magically, immediately, the drink <laughs> appears. And, like, in Manhattan, if you find a bartender that's willing to even look your way, even at, at dead bars, you're you're an anomaly. And, like, granted, she's NYPD, but, like, that can go either way. It's like, well, maybe they don't like you because you are a cop. And for the hours that she works, every time she goes to these bars, she's like beautifully put together. And so are the bartenders who never have towels over their shoulders or like towels in their back pocket. And like, I'm sorry, but you're working at some of the, like that is probably minus Vegas or Miami, like the highest volume city per capita of just like, just bars going crazy all the time. Like it's just, it's really frustrating. It takes me out of every time she's meeting the new DA. I like, I can't deal. So yeah. That's... You know, I was thinking one thing I kind of liked about um, Breaking Bad was I thought maybe I really learned how to cook meth here. Like maybe this is real. <laughs> and that was a plus for me. But I wonder if these, <laughs> every TV show, every movie took that path of made, made that thing real would we be disappointed? Would it just be too slow? Would it just be boring? This is a procedural crime thing, not a procedural customer service thing. Um, That's funny. I, yeah, maybe. But, like, well, two things. I just want to jump on. Like, you did tell on yourself a little bit. Like, learning how to cook meth would have been advantageous for you for why? You don't want to say it on the podcast? You never know. Okay, cool. We'll just we'll move past it. <laughs> yeah. I just was curious yeah. if you would tell on yourself more. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, I guess it would be boring if – but it's like – Here's what it is, especially with that show. It's so fine-tunedly accurate with details. Like, if you if you have lawyers in your family or anybody that works for any sort of precinct, like, yeah, the speed with which they get the DNA samples back and stuff is obviously not realistic. But the way they interact with victims, the the sort of the, the process of how it all goes, I have heard is incredibly accurate. So I guess, like, with the amount of attention to detail for everything else, it's like, well, why not just take it over the finish line, like do it with everything then have that bartender be stressed out or put a towel over one of their shoulders, just one. And I've seen the 157,000 episodes that are on TV. I've watched them all probably twice. A t one towel, one time. And then I'd be like, okay. Okay. I'm good. I got my towel. Yeah. <laughs> I want you to go back and work with a CG team to fix all of the <laughs> I would. <laughs> I would do it. Does that get me on the first page of Google? Because I'll do it. <laughs> I want to knock out the other Kate Gaffney. Yeah. All right, guys, uh, your last shot at trying to depose who was clearly winning this. Um, hmm. The hmm. real Kate Gaffney. Yeah. Well, uh, for some reason, I guess, with all of this, my I, I was stuck in a small town. So my our fourth choice is the Lanford lunchbox on Roseanne. The idea that there is an entire restaurant that was just selling loose meat sandwiches seems <laughs> out of this world ridiculous to me um it would only exist in two ways one if it was like um like this kind of way ahead of its time really niche place that would have been called like slop and just had like an oh, yeah. umlaut over the o yeah and the only way it could exist in another way is it wouldn't exist <laughs> <laughs> and like, I, you know, for the show, they needed a place to create more conflict and get Roseanne out of um, working at that kind of the, uh, the manufacturing, the factory that had closed down. And, you know, there's a lot of very, uh, you know, kind of 
uh, Rust Belt themes that happen in uh, the show and to open your own business and to be struggling and but just that they 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 settled on like loose meat sandwiches <laughs> and that someone didn't have like a really good recipe for one that's just like come <sighs> I guess uh, it's so weird and maybe I'm just you know I'm born and raised in Los Angeles and my you entire life the on the, the coast I can't imagine I just it just not is it is not in my I don't think John Goodman has all. eaten eaten a meal in his life that did not consist of loose meat sandwiches. <laughs> loose, meat. Like, loose meat is so funny. Michael, Why is that so funny? there's another podcast where you just say loose meat sandwiches. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> loose meat. I do appreciate I do appreciate that Roseanne and Tom Arnold later went on to open their own version of this, like IRL, and it seems like oh, let's. These things that happen on TV do not have to – they don't have to become reality just because it happened. You don't have to have done this – thing. like you don't have to have done the things that you just lived. It seems very strange. Yeah. See, I'm I'm the cheesy asshole that like loves the pop-up. Like they did a Save by the Bell uh, pop-up for the Max. The Max was like the – for your listeners who are cooler than I am and probably didn't watch Save by the Bell. That's where they served like the burgers and the milkshakes, and that was their after high school hangout. They had a pop-up that was traveling all over L.A., and it landed in West Hollywood. You had to pay $40 for a ticket just to like get a reservation. This was all pre-COVID, obviously. And then you could like buy a Max burger and like my dumbass did it and it was super fun. And so <laughs> I, I totally understand the argument that not everything has to be made a reality, but I would also go to that Disney like flair situation. Like give me a gimmick and I'm here for it. Give me a show. You want the yeah. show. Yeah. Oh, that's pretty, that's pretty hilarious. Well, uh, Kate, is there anything else that you uh, like – what what has been who has been one of the funnest people to talk to? Like I, I know you talked about you a little bit about uh, you. I, I know you have a little bit of you, you talked about your experience in the customer service industry. Is it fun to interview a doctor or somebody else in the medical profession to realize we all suffer similarly as service persons? It's a thoughtful question. Yeah, it's it's cathartic to learn that it it's sort of very easy to believe you're terminally unique and the suffering that you're experiencing at your job is just you and oh how 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 are you surviving? And so it it is incredibly cathartic to know that even if you I had chosen you know, not to go into the arts that I always feel long suffering for, you know, my choice, that it is nice to know that other jobs can become routine and monotonous and have definitely some huge lows, very high highs, but very low lows. So yes, talking to people outside of uh, the customer services, I know it is very cathartic. And it, you know, I'm very, very fortunate that I have access to incredibly funny people who are willing to give me their time. So it is neat to get to know these comics who I've seen, you know, perform in front of so many people have the the sort of come up story. It's also, it gives me a bit of hope because it is hard to remember that when you're pursuing the arts, you know, that when you have a survival job, which people barf, never use this word, call it a thrival job. I will, I will throw glass (laughs) in your eyeballs. Like, please don't ever call it that in front of me. But the, you know, it is nice to see that there is there is sort of a way out. I think it, it gives me a bit of hope as an artist. And yeah, the doctor is very interesting. Lawyers have been very interesting. I'm desperate to get a cop on. So if any of your listeners are police officers, although I know it's hairy and I will have no agenda, I just want to know the stories of like the drunk girls peeing on you or the whatever, like that's the, but yes, to answer your question. Yeah. It's been very, mm-hmm. very cathartic to know that, you know, every job has, has hardship. Yeah. I, I think um, you might know this more profoundly, having worked in the industry more recently. But for those within earshot of this podcast who uh, are experiencing, as everyone is, the COVID reality and going out to uh, try to enjoy what is left of restaurants and, and bars and things right now, um, do your server a solid and go easy on them, <laughs> as, as I on. think you always should. <laughs> right? Do you think so, Kate? Oh, Jeff. I mean, say it again. Yeah, I mean, the... The average that I'm hearing is now people are getting 10% tips because everyone's arguing, well, I don't have, you know, I don't, I didn't have an income during a certain period of time, which listen, I honor that. And if you are, if your focus is, I want this restaurant in my town or my city or whatever, this restaurant that is mom and pop, and I want to keep it alive and it's, you know, it's struggling and it's the difference between you being able to tip or not that you choose to go, still go, keep the restaurants open because you're at least letting that server be employed, but like 
feel free to be that vulnerable and honest and tell them that up top. Not that that, that shouldn't change how they serve you, but definitely communicate that if that, I, I mean, financial mm-hmm. limitations, trust and believe I'm living in my mother's basement and I'm in my thirties. Like, please, we're all eating some humble pie during this time. But if it is the difference between you keeping it, you know, keeping a restaurant open or not still go, but feel free to let the server know like, Hey, I, I got you once, you know, everything's back up and running and I have my full-time job back. But yeah, Go easy because also we gonna be rusty. I promise you, the first <laughs> few nights that I'm back at the store, like I will forget your drinks. I will bring you someone else's drink. I, you know, there I'm gonna be slow as hell because I'm not running during COVID. Who is like? Mm-hmm. So yeah, um, I. But yes, Jeff, that's a very thoughtful thing to let your audience know. As it, but you, you guys are thoughtful. I'm sure your audience is also incredibly thoughtful. So I doubt, I doubt any of you listening will be would have been crappy to your servers or would be in the future, but. Yeah, it's a it's a time to be gentle. It is, it is. Uh, but I'm not going to be gentle in the scoring, guys. You get one point because you beat Kate to Cheers. You beat her. <laughs> you did. You get the point. That is the first the time point. that has ever happened with a guest on the show. Amazing. <laughs> yeah, it's unprecedented. You know, because I think also Kate is strong. She's strong, uh, and she's got her own podcast to to go back and rule over like the Iron Sheik and just be. Be, uh, that's that's her that's her uh, fiefdom. So she's got that. Oh, um, that. Did you just compare her to the Iron Sheik? Yeah, I don't know he why. He did. He did. <laughs> I'm taking it. Don't take that away from me. <laughs> you know, I kind of like it was a portmanteau of rule with an iron hand, and then I don't know why I stuck a sheik in there. Um, but otherwise, you guys get one point. But otherwise, Kate gets three for choosing. All the- yeah, right. It's, it's fun to, to celebrate. Uh, yeah. Perks and Rec and Law and Order SVU. So, yeah, you feel good, Kate? Yeah, thank you so much again for having me on. You all are very lovely people. And even though Richard has a strong affinity for the other Kate Gaffney, I'm going to look past that and still sing the praises of this lovely podcast. Because it is, I mean, it, all kidding aside, it is very rare as a as a guest on a podcast, but particularly as a female with an all-male uh, lineup to you know be handled so lovely with such lovely kid gloves and be honoring of my words so yeah thanks gentlemen well you are awesome and people can find this kate gaffney at the kate gaffney there's two f's ny.com and then the podcast is of course service from hell and uh we would love for you to go out and listen to it on Spotify. It's on Apple Podcasts. It's on Google Podcasts. It's on Stitcher. All the places. All the places. Um, this has been the Mount Rushmore Podcast. I, as always, am Jeff. I'm Richard. I'm Michael. And I'm Kate. 